Okay, today is June the 23rd, 2011, and just so y'all know, you maybe have got this news already, we're not going to have our Friday night at the movies tomorrow night. We just, uh, the wing is full of things, we can't get ready in time, so we're just going to postpone it till next month. We're not going to have it this month. We'll just take care of it next month when we're not so crowded. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving us another day for your provision, your protection, your grace that is always sufficient. We pray that you will help us to focus on tonight's message. It's so easy for us to be distracted, to think of the issues maybe left undone, things that we might want to change, but this is your time. It's really our time that you have provided. So we pray that you will help us to focus, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I have a a website that every time, every day when when I log on to the Internet, it has different news bits. And one of them today had to do with the uh, TSA, something that I spoke about a few weeks ago, Transportation Security Administration. And they had some information. Um, The TSA recently changed its hand search policies. Before the officers would use the back of their hand to check a person, now they are to use their open hand and fingers to go over one's body, including the genital area and breasts. And a picture speaks louder than words that they always have. And there was, there's pictures all over the place of they, what they take <coughs> to help you get an idea of what's going on. Now, you won't see these pictures on the news, but you can certainly see them on the Internet. Uh, this is one. Uh, this is just really offensive to me. It's an old man, and he must have, I don't know if that's, I, I can't tell if there's anything on his calf area, but his leg is, a pant leg is rolled up. He's got two canes that he's resting on. He can, it appears that he is uh, in pain, that he's strained in trying to hold himself up with these uh, two canes as this uh, TSA agent is, uh, has his hands all over him. This is, there's all kind of pictures like this that they take while they're doing the searches. This is uh, pretty typical. Uh, Fourth Amendment. Fourth Amendment to the Constitution says the right of the people to be secure in their persons and papers and effects against unreasonable searches. So um, that's part of what I saw. Then I had some things that I just comments that people uh, happen to be making. Uh, There's here's a quote says I wonder if the TSA scanners can see through six feet of dirt 
to detect the founding fathers turning over in their graves. There's a new word from the Urban uh, Dictionary. It's called gate rape. Passing through, and this is a definition, passing through a security gate at an American airport which requires either full body scans where the TSA guards ogle your naked body or an enhanced pat down where the TSA guards molest you. Um, so many uh, people have spoken out. Uh, there was a video from uh, Miss America 19, uh, 2009, no, excuse me, 1995. And she was in tears because uh, she was explaining how uh, they had essentially fondled her and she didn't think that she would ever. She travels a lot. She didn't want to go through the, the full screen because she didn't want the radiation, and she chose, if you don't get that, then you have to get an enhanced pat-down. Uh, pat I can't tell you everything that she said because it was so graphic. There's a new acronym for the TSA. There's at least a couple. One of them, TSA, stands for Too Stupid for America. The other one is Travel Sucks in America. Um, there's reports. I'll just give you one. Uh, this this traveler said, my daughter and her eight-month-old twins were put through a TSA, TSA search at LaGuardia Airport. She was compelled to have her twins separated from each other, forced to stretch their little arms out, lean forward in their carriages, and were patted down by a six-foot-two intimidating man. I don't know whether we are all safer because the infants were searched, but I suspect not. Anyway, um, you won't see any of this. Uh, I haven't seen any of it on the 6 o'clock news, but it's, it's the, the Internet is saturated with these things. And it appears that the, the bill that was going to go through the Texas Congress is going to have another shot at it. And the eyes, not only the eyes of Texas, but the entire nation, indeed the entire world, are going to be looking at what the outcome of that to see if our um, representatives are going to show them that Texas, people in Texas are not going to um, accept this any longer, and we'll see what happens. Okay, let's take our Bibles and open to Second Thessalonians. Chapter 3. Oh, I meant to, meant to remind everyone, too, that not this Sunday, but the following Sunday is going to be our communion Sunday. And it will also be uh, the dedication service for our new wing. So if you haven't uh, seen Mary, uh, make sure you do that as soon as you can. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. So we're just getting one practical application after another from verse to verse here in the concluding verses of the second epistle to the Thessalonians. And this is one that has to do with following an example. We've already gone through the 
the grammar of this. For you yourselves know, Ida, perfect active indicative means that perfect tense means it's very important for you to know these things. You can be hurt. You can be severely damaged, not only in time but for all eternity, for the things you don't know. How to follow our example? The, the word to follow there is mememai, M-I-M-E-O-M-A-I. It's infinitive, present middle. means we are to continue to follow uh, examples. And the middle voice means that it is to your benefit that you do so. It's reflexive. You're benefited by doing that <clears throat> and to keep on doing it. We're just going to look at a few of the verses here. Uh, this is just by way of a quick review. I was surprised at how many verses in the Bible support this verse, verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is not an isolated verse, as you'll see. And this isn't all the verses. There are a lot of verses that don't have the word imitate or imitators or example in it, but essentially say the same thing. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I exhort you therefore, be imitators of me. Of course, this is Paul who wrote the epistle. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everyone in every church. So he was passing his delegated authority on to Timothy, and he was going to make sure that they would be reminded of the ways in which are uh, to be in Christ. We're all in Christ positionally, but you know there's an experiential aspect to that as well. Then we have Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join me in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Observing is watching. It is considering the behavior, the attitude, the beliefs of someone else. This is a legitimate act according to these scriptures. Now, we're going to see, uh, I've already went over this some, that there's two ways to learn. One is through the abstract teaching, which is what I'm doing right now, is learning from someone that is teaching the Word. That's one way from when it is being taught, preached, or whatever you want to call it. And the other way is through watching other people, watching people who are doing it right, those who are disciples. And we'll get into more about what a disciple is, but that, that's another way of learning. And here you have Paul saying, <clears throat> join me in following, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Remember those last two words, in us? That kind of throws us back to what we had right before this in verse 7 about being able to have the freedom to learn from other people. But it's imperative to understand that you have a right church, right local church, and a right pastor. That is your foundation. And those who think that they don't need a, a, their local congregation, a local church, or a right pastor, are eclectics. They cannot grow. They're severely hampered because they cannot rise above 
their own authority. They are an authority to themselves. God has designed learning to come from one that is humble and submits to the authority of the one teaching. That's the way that God designed it. There's some people out there that don't go to church at all. They don't go to any. They don't have any pastors, and they don't know it, but they have hum, 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 hamstrung themselves, and they can't. They just can't grow. Philippians 4:9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So it's not only hearing; it's also seeing. What you've learned and heard, what you've learned teaching and what you've heard him say and what you've seen in me. In other words, you've seen me and my behavior and my conduct. It's hard for us in the local church these days to appreciate what Paul is saying because we, think, we always think in, in the context of the here and now and how things operate. But back then there were apostles and the apostles did not stick at one church. They would found a church or they would go like Titus did after Paul had founded the, 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 the church in uh, Corinth, and then he would go and he would uh, take over. But then they would move on, and they would live among the people. They, they just didn't, after church, after, well, after church normally here, we may talk a bit, and then I'm gone, and you don't see me normally in just the everyday uh, grind of life. And yet they saw the apostles back then because they lived with them. They ate with them. Uh, they would live among them while they were uh, establishing this church or while they were teaching, and then they would move on. So he's, it would be very easy for them to see Paul. How did he conduct himself under certain situations? How did he speak to certain people? When was he firm? When was he flexible? When did he speak and when did he not speak? They were observing all these things, and that's another way to learn. Then we have Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider, uh, and considering the result of their contact, excuse me, conduct, and imitate their faith. So again, we have imitation. We have following examples. These are the ones who led you, spoke the word of God to you. Uh, we've already uh, read this part. Let's just look at another verse. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. This is Paul speaking. Now, you have to be very careful who, whose example you're going to follow. We should be very careful in the friends that we choose to associate with because who you associate with influences you and you influence them. And... The smart thing to do is hang out with people who are smarter than you are. If you're the smartest one in the group, you need to find another group. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but what we should do is make sure that we are spending time with people that are going to be inspiring, uplift us, that no doctrine or maybe they're learning doctrine and there's a positiveness to it. Because if you hang out with people who are negative, they will bring you down. And so the same thing goes with uh, especially communicators of doctrine, people who have notoriety, people who have authority, have to be doubly careful of 
how they are perceived by others because others are watching and they have greater influence over other people. Romans 8, 29. Now, this is what, what I'm doing here is giving you the importance of having, number one, Christ as your example. In fact, we're going to see here in this verse, uh, Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is being uh, conformed to an image? What does it entail? It entails following an example, does it not? Doesn't it include imitating someone? Being transformed by the renewing of your mind into that image of the Son of God? That's what he's talking about. Then in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing transformation. Do you know how long that transformation lasts? Until you quit breathing. That's how long it lasts. And we have a lot of sprinters in the spiritual life and very few long-distance runners. Ephesians 4.15 Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. That's being transformed into the image of, of Christ. He is our example. 3 John 1.11 Beloved, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. The one who does good, and that's a, a present active participle there, that means keeps on doing good, is of God. And we would say that would be one who understands divine good and not some legalist that's trying to impress people. The one who does good keeps on doing good is of God, the one who does evil, keeps on doing evil, has not seen God. So it's not that we should not... The Bible doesn't tell us don't follow other people's example. It doesn't tell us that. In fact, it's telling us just the opposite, isn't it? But we have to be very careful who our role models are going to be. Who are, who are we going to look up to? Who are we going to uh, associate with? And then 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Wouldn't it be great if the believers here in Country Bible Church became examples to believers in other churches? Wouldn't that be great? Well... There's no way of us of keeping score on that. But I can assure you this, the more you learn, the more you apply, the, more of, uh, the, the better example you're going to be to others. And there are believers in some churches that are examples to believers in other churches because we have it right here in this verse, do we not? So even believers can be examples. Even if you are not a, a pastor or deacon or a apostle or missionary, you still have that opportunity to influence others. And this is just my attempt with the arrows there to kind of show you the, the way, the layout. Where is my pointer? I have three pointers. 
Oh, that's wrong. Oh. The light won't go off. See what happens when I push buttons. They don't let me push a button. Well, this does have a laser when the light isn't working. I'm just going to I'm going to unscrew this because I and it's still going on. I'm tempted to put it on the ground and stomp it. I think it'll go out. Well, I, I found my other. Uh, <laughs> I know it's going to be hard to find a battery for this. Well, this whole button disappeared right there. Well, uh, that's why I have more than one pointer. <clears throat> Here's the order. Let's say that you're an immature believer. You're a believer that is growing in the Lord. Can y'all see over my head here? Um, maybe I can get it up a little higher. Um, immature believers, they're watching on the other believers. Are you not? I mean, I know that I continue to do that. I think everybody's watching each other. That's not a bad thing. But they should be looking and imitating the mature believers. Mature believers are imitating, following the examples of the communicators of the Word, and the communicators of the Word are following the Lord. Now, this is all great when everybody is keeping the flow. But when any of them along the line here start to get off base, then they no longer are to be followed. They're no longer a good example. Then we have 1 Thessalonians 2.14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ. Here we have another example of believers in one church following the example of believers in another church. You became imitators of the churches of God in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen that happened so often, even as they did from the Jews. Hebrews 6 Verses 11 through 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Do you hear that? You have to endure till the end. That full assurance of hope. Confidence. When you lose your confidence in God and His Word, in His grace being sufficient, in His promises, when you don't think that He cares, He doesn't know what you're doing, and you start sloughing off, you are in Big time trouble. You have to keep that confidence up. When your confidence is up, your morale is up, and then you're going to be a good example to others. So, so that you may realize the full assurance of the hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Who are the ones that are going to inherit the promises? It's not the mediocre believer. Not all believers are going to be inheritors, are they? But the ones that are going to be inheritors of heaven are going to be the ones that you would like to look at, see what they're doing. How do they do it? How do they accomplish it? That's one, another way that we can learn. Two aspects of discipleship 
are still evident in that Christians are commanded to learn about Christ through teaching and preaching and studying. That's the abstract way, and that's imperative. But also to imitate those who are like him. Uh, all that was by way of review. We, we, we start plowing real uh, new ground right here, but that, I don't think that date's the right date. But don't worry about that. I'll just let have it disappear here. Discipleship is not a spiritual gift or an office in the church. It is a process where believers become more like Christ. That's what discipleship is. It's a process of becoming experientially sanctified. Are you getting sick of hearing that yet? Okay, well, if, if you're not sick of it yet, I have to keep hammering on it. I want to use that word until you can't stand it. That way, you're going to know it even under pressure. You're going, to, you're going to be able to realize the whole deal. So it's the process of becoming experientially sanctified, and every believer is challenged to pursue that goal to the end of life. That's one reason we're here. We're here to be transformed by the renewing of our mind into the image of God's Son. Another way of saying that is that we are going to be here to the end with the goal of being experientially sanctified here in time so that we can be experientially sanctified in eternity. All disciples are believers, but not all believers are disciples. Now that's taking issue with a guy that I quoted so much in this article because he said all believers are disciples. Well, I don't think they are because a disciple is one that, well, one way Christ put it was uh, take up your cross and follow me. What did the disciples do when Jesus went to the, the fishermen on the, on the lake, on the sea there? He said, follow me. What did they have to do? They had to leave everything behind and follow him. Well, we can't do that the way that they did, can we? Because Jesus isn't here. He's not walking them up, up to us and saying, follow me. And we say, okay. He didn't say, now you go home and get all your things in order and get packed and get all your things together and then you can follow me. No, he, that meant they just put their nets down and they walked away following him. That's what a disciple is. There's not many disciples like that today, and we can't follow Christ that way today. But we can follow him in the way that you're doing right now. Disciples are the ones that will be at the church, whether it's Bible class or church, whatever it may be, every time the door is open, because that's one way that we follow Christ, is through following the teacher, the right pastor that is designed for you, and you're hungry, you have spudazo, you are just ravenous for more doctrine. Those are the disciples, and of course all believers aren't like that. Becoming a disciple requires consistent study of the Word and imitating or following the example of those who are disciples. Here's a little quote. This is from that same article. Those who are mature in the faith have the responsibility, on the one hand, to participate in educating and modeling other, or excuse me, uh, is that modeling? Yeah, modeling other believers, and on the other hand, to ensure that their Christ-like character is being passed on to a select few individuals whom God has entrusted to them. Now, it's just normal. We have a fairly small church, but even in a small church, 
you're not going to be the mentor of everyone. You're going to be closer to some than you are than others. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way we're made up. Our personalities, we have preferences. Uh, sometimes, some people we have more of a rapport with than others. That's all right. But he's saying that we are, on the one hand, participating in educating and modeling other believers. Right? Is that right, modeling? Am I saying that right? Because I keep wanting to say molding. <laughs> But it says modeling. I, like, I think molding would be better. But anyway, uh, other believers. And on the other hand, to ensure Christ-like characters being passed down to a select few individuals. And it's those select few that you can really be yourself. And those are the ones that are going to be watching you the closest. That's who you have the most influence over. Since you are a royal ambassador for Christ, you are a role model for others whether you like it or not. Every day, others are watching you and oftentimes imitate you. And, of course, this is especially true for parents. We know that parents teach their children. Even when they're not training them in a training mode or teaching them, they're still being, the children are going to model what they see in their parents. Here's something that I've seen so many times. It's just a little example, but it, it would be representative of the whole thing. How many times have you been in line and you get up close to where they're taking the tickets and they find out, they read a little sign there that says, children under 12 get in for free. And they'll tell their children, tell them you're 11. Of course, the child's 12 or he's 13 or whatever it is. And so the child is obedient. He says that he's 11. And the, the parent has just sacrificed their character. And they have... Given their child a very vivid lesson that it's okay to lie. Under, you, truthful, truthfulness is fine, but it's okay if you lie. And then the next thing you know, they're getting punished because they told a fib or a lie to their parents. That's very poor modeling, isn't it? So, but we are, people are watching us, and they won't tell us, but they like make little mental notes. Don't you do that all the time? When I see somebody do something that I think is, is grand, they're very thoughtful. They've gone out of their way to do something. Even if I don't say something about it, I make a little mental note. When I see someone run and open the door for someone, uh, helps in all these little ways, I see it. I make a little mental note. But that is also true when I see someone being thoughtless. So we're always making... And it's not judging... It's just what we do. I mean, we can't help it. Is that not true? And so we have to be on guard. Now, I know that we have to tolerate each other because we're all a bunch of blobs of old sin nature bouncing off each other. But we do notice what's going on, and we have to, we have to recognize that. There's an old saying, actions speak louder than words. Talking the talk is not good enough. We should be... Not only walking the walk, but we should be talking the talk and walking the walk. You see what I'm talking about? Talking the talk. Some people do learn. They need instructions, but often if it doesn't have the action to go along with it, it's not effective. That is what all, uh, that's what the Apostle Paul did most of the time and what our Lord did all the time. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. There's a lot of talkers out there, 
And there are some walkers. But there's even fewer talkers and walkers. You don't understand what I'm saying when I'm saying talkers? I'm talking about talking about doctrine. I'm talking about when people come to you. You know, you're going to find this out. I don't know how many examples. I'm not going to give me any names. But people all the time come to me and they tell me, you know, for some reason now when I go around family or friends and, and it's time to say a prayer for the meal, they ask me to pray. When the family has some kind of issue to deal with, it's the person that has doctrine that they know has doctrine because they've talked about doctrine to them. They're the ones they call to get some advice because they've talked the talk. They've talked about doctrine. But just talking it isn't enough. They've also seen them walk the walk. When they see them employ what they have talked about and they've seen God work in their lives, then you've got great impact. None of this is to be construed that we should get, out of, get our eyes on man. Now we're going to get the other side of this coin because some of you might be thinking, well, uh, cursed is a man who trusts in man. Well, that's true, and I'm not talking about trusting in man. I'm talking about seeing good examples and following them. We recognize that no man is perfect and everyone gets into carnality from time to time. But this does not mean that certain individuals cannot greatly influence us for the good. And that's what we want to look for. We want to look for people who can influence us for the good. Most people have a tendency to be preoccupied with themselves. Isn't that true? I mean, the world revolves around me. However, there are some who are preoccupied with others. They're watching others. They make idols out of someone they revere or idolize and then think it's their duty to destroy them when they notice their feet of clay. And you know what this is. Some of you know where I, exactly where I'm going. We must be on guard against such iconoclastic arrogance. This is people that are watching others, rather that they're preoccupied with others. It's okay to be influenced by others who are on the right track. But I'm not saying that you are to be inordinate in your appreciation and your respect for them because they have... You know what feet of clay is, right? We're all... Remember, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. We're all wackos somewhere. We all do stupid things. We all have our idiosyncrasies. And that's okay. But if you are a iconoclast, someone that has in that type of arrogance, then you have really looked up to someone and you have idolized them. You've actually made an idol out of them. It's as if you're worshiping them. They can do no wrong, but you know it's just a matter of time until they do wrong and then you are so hurt, you are so offended. You take it upon yourself. You think it's your duty to make them pay. That's what an iconoclastic arrogance is. Historically, in the 8th and 9th century, an, an iconoclast, or sometimes what we refer to as an image breaker, idol breaker, was a fanatic who destroyed relig religious images or objects of veneration and worship. In personal relationships, an iconoclast is a person who is subjectively preoccupied with others. He builds up a perfect image of someone that would be in his mind, then discovering his idol's human flaws, attacks this person, 
He fatuously worshipped. This happens all the time. By the way, icon, iconoclastic is spelled I-C-O-N-O-C-L-A-S-T-I-C. Iconoclastic. If your personal love is not reciprocated, or if a person you love becomes a disappointment, then there's a danger of reacting. Inevitably, the iconoclast discovers his idol's feet of clay, suffers disillusionment, and reacts bitterly, destroying the idol he alone created. Now, a lot of times the person that has been idolized, and there may be an iconoclastic arrogance out there, the person that's being idolized may not even know that this is taking place. And the next thing you know, somebody is attacking him. Somebody is trying to break him down. They might even be farming conspiracies to get rid of this person. And the, and the person doesn't even know why. Well, the reason is because someone out there was an iconoclast and they were offended and they were shocked because this person they idolized stepped off their pedestal and now they're going to be destroyed. We are hurt more deeply by those we are closest to. Isn't that the truth? The pain and hurt feelings generated by personal love can be a test for your spiritual momentum. Without employing impersonal love, we enter the cosmic compound through the mental attitude sin of iconoclastic arrogance and quickly interlock with the arrogance of unhappiness and discouragement. Let's, let's look at that just a moment. It's the people that you are close to that can really get to you. And I think we all realize this to a degree. I mean, after all, the person you marry should be number one on your hit parade under the Lord. And you expect certain things from them. And maybe there was a pattern of thoughtfulness and, and grace and uh, character. And then all of a sudden... Bam! They do something that's out of character. Uh, they may lose their temper. Maybe they uh, were afraid, were a coward. I don't know what, may, uh, what they may have done. But when that happens, if you don't know the doctrine of unconditional love and switch to it and recognize this is just a person, they have an old sin nature too, you've become shocked and offended that this person would do such a thing because you've, you've held them up on such a high plane. And you get into the cosmic compound and the mental attitude sins take over. All the tremendous energy of personal love now explodes into anger, disillusionment, depression, bitterness, implacability, self-pity and vindictiveness. You all know what implacability is, right? Even if, if, if usually this happens to someone you're close to, but it, not always. There are people, let, let's say people like Billy Graham or somebody like um, Benny Hinn, uh, uh, people that are well known. Uh, they have people out there that adore them. They all but worship them. And so they're not close to them in a relationship, but they're close to them in their own mind. More often, though, it's people who are close to each other in a relationship 
something is done and the other one goes off. They're going to bring them down because they think, you deserve it. And if a person even says, look, I acknowledge it. I was a jerk. I apologize. Will you forgive me? They may say yes, but in their heart they say no, and they're still going to make them pay. That is implacability. And the Bible says we are to forgive how many times? 490 times, is that what it is? But if you, it's all right to go 491 times. That's all right too. So everything that you have, all that energy, all that closeness can explode if you become an iconoclast. This happens, I think this is particularly happens in families. It may be the children holding their parents up on the pedestal or it may be the parent holding the children up on the pedestal. They always do so good. The, the, the child is an honor student, straight A's, very obedient. And you get a call and they say, you need to come down to the school. Your child is in the office. Oh, he was caught smoking a joint. And what happens? The parent goes ballistic because their child is way up here. They don't realize that they were all but worshiping him. And it can go the other way also with regards to the parent. The arrogant iconoclast never blames himself for what he has done in creating and destroying his own idol because arrogance never takes responsibility for being arrogant. That's not what arrogance does. What does arrogance do? Point the fingers. Not me. It's her. It's him. Or it's really him. They don't take responsibility for it. He uses his conscience with the notion that the, his idol deserves what they get because they have the audacity to not be perfect. That sounds kind of silly, but that's exactly what they, what they do. I dare you to be anything. I dare you to fall behind the perfect standards that I set up for you. It's fine to admire and appreciate those we love and respect. They can have a positive influence on us and there may be much we can learn from them, but we are not to put anyone on a pedestal. Now, what I'm doing, in case you are wondering why I'm going so deep into this, is countering the idea that I'm saying that we are to make people get our eyes on people. We are to keep our eyes on the Lord but one way that we learn how to live the Christian way of life is through watching others. And I've, always, I've been somewhat hesitant to teach that because I thought, well, what if somebody gets their eyes on the wrong person? And there's, there's a danger of that. But people are going to get their eyes on someone anyway. You can tell them not to do it, but they're going to do it. There are certain people they gravitate to. And the, look how the Bible saying over and over, Imitate us. Use our example. One of the favorite pastimes of Americans is to idolize movie stars, sports figures, socialites, politicians, broadcasters, and famous singers. There may be more, but that's you know what I'm talking about there. When the idol makes a slip or is no longer in the spotlight, they are attacked by the same ones who previously adored them and were their biggest fans. Is that not true? The public is fickle and loves to hate those 
they once loved. I, I relate to sports. I think of some of the quarterbacks. What was that quarterback for the Oilers on the early times? Um, Dan, was his name Dan? Dan, Past, yeah, Dan Pastorini. There were, it, it was a perfect example. He would play a good game and everybody would celebrate and they would just, they, they just applauded him so much. And then he had an off day. Boo! Throw the ball out! <laughs> Don't we see that all the time? It seems like we, we just want to find someone that has really got it together and they're in the spotlight and we just can't stand it. Maybe it's because if we can bring them down, it makes us feel better about ourselves. You reckon that's what it is? But that is a form of iconoclastic arrogance because everyone is going to let you down sooner or later, usually sooner than later. And that's where you can't get your eyes on men and think that they are your support, to think they are the one you can always trust because they'll let you down. But that is not to cancel out the fact that there are people that can influence you for the good, that you can learn from, that you can pattern something after. The way they, they talk to the children when there's a certain... Uh, situation, maybe there's a tense situation, how do they do it? Everybody might be flying off the handle and you know what happens when the emotions kick in, the temperature goes up and you see someone that is sitting there just as, just as contented as can be and everybody, their veins are poking out of their neck, they're grinding their teeth and they look like a bunch of vampires and one guy is just sitting here taking it all in. And he applies his doctrine through this whole thing. When somebody has wronged you, and, uh, so many examples of this, and you're mad and you're talking about it, and then somebody comes up and tells you, well, you know, we live in the devil's world. This is just part of undeserved suffering. This is a chance that God's trying to show you off. And it just takes all the wind out of yourselves. You want to be mad. Come on, get on my side. Let's, let's, let's just clench our teeth together. <laughs> But the person just says, relax. That's the person you want to take note of. That person has something that other people don't have. First of all, he's got doctrine. He's not, it could be a her as well. They have doctrine and they're applying it. And people who consistently do that, those are the ones you want to take note of. Not just the ones that are always talking about it. Maybe, maybe you can learn a few principles, something from people saying, talking the talk. But can't you learn more by those who not only do that, but they also walk the walk? We can't discount that just because we're all a bunch of slobs, spiritually speaking. There are some that we are to take note of. And but of course we're just like the just like the uh, what's this guy Weiner is that his name Weiner what Weeder oh okay <laughs> well you know he's in the news now and it, especially if it's a political person when when blood's in the water the sharks go crazy uh, they might surround the raggins around him at first but if the, there's too much blood they're going to attack him also. And they, the guy 
I don't know that much about it. Probably shouldn't even brought him up. Just as an illustration of people saying, okay, there's blood in the water, let's attack. Well, he's just the guy. He's a politician. What do you expect? <laughs> well, why do we get all bent out of shape about that? I'll move on. Okay. Um, all this had to do... We went through two phases here in this last week. Actually, three. We went through the different aspects of eternal life, experiential eternal life. Remember that? And then we went into being able to uh, learn doctrine from someone other than just in your local church or your, or your right pastor. And I'm not denigrating that, but what did I say? I said, be very careful. And if you're a young, immature believer, don't do it. First of all, get some systematic theology under your belt because there are, there are very smooth false teachers out there. They sound good, they look good, they have great degrees, they have a large following, and they can just woo you right into false doctrine. But there, once you have some discernment, then you can... Um, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't, but I'm the only one that you can learn from. The local, the, your, your right pastor teacher is the main source of your spiritual training. But he's not the only source. But you have to be very careful. There's, I don't know how many different pastors and theologians and missionaries are in the CDs that I, when I go to these conferences, what do I do? I get DVDs. Every conference I've gone to, I've gotten the DVDs and I put them in there for people to, to check out. Now, I'm, the conferences that I go to are very doctrinally oriented. You're not going to have a Creflo Dollar or Jesse Duplantis or Benny Hinn. You're not going to have any of that in there. I wouldn't allow it in the church. But I put that in there for your benefit that you can learn because I, I can't teach every day, but how often should you get doctrine? Every day. None of you have an excuse for not getting doctrine every day. If you did nothing but just go to the material I have to this ministry on the website, there's enough material for most people to get it every day and not exhaust it. But there's others as well. Those are in there. And I've, I've, I was either at the conference or I saw the DVD of the conference. And it's essentially I put my stamp of approval on that. So you can learn from these guys also. We're not in competition with each other. We're on the same team. So it's fine. But I will caution you, always be careful. And if something strikes a chord and it's separate from the teaching that you receive here, I want to know about it. And then we will, we will put our heads together. Come, let us reason together in the Word. So these are things that are very practical, pragmatic things that we can really use. And so if you, you have someone in particular that you're fond of, you respect, you high, have high regard for them, and you think, well, I saw them do this. This looked like this. Doctrinally correct. I like the way he did it. I, I, I like the way he said it and how he, how he said it, what he said and how he handled himself. All these things are the way that we learn. 
we learn abstractly like the, the principles and the doctrine we get here. You have to have that. But as a bonus or as a side, according to all those scriptures I've just read, Paul is saying, imitate, imitate, be example, follow, follow, follow. But in each case, there were, qual- there were exceptions. You have to qualify who you're going to listen to and who you're going to associate with. Okay? I'm not going to go any further because this starts a whole new thing here. And I want your mind to be subject to these things that we've been learning here just in the last few weeks. That's enough to chew on. And we'll start this new topic. Even though it's in the middle of the sentence, it, uh, it kind of gets into a new area, and we'll get into that next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in teaching us in so many different ways. We thank you for your word, which is alive and powerful, that reaches deep into us. And even we, we can search your scriptures and find that we are able to follow other people's example. We just have to be very careful when we do it. And it takes discernment, and discernment comes with knowledge, and knowledge comes from consistently taking in your word and submitting to the right pastor and growing. Help us to understand this and help others who are lost, those who don't understand these principles that think that they are an authority to themselves, and they can learn not only by what we say, but more importantly by what we do. We Pray that we will be very conscious of this and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.